0: Amen. Enjoy the worship this morning. Say amen. Amen. And so great to worship this morning. Uh, There's nothing like worshiping with the body of Christ on any given Sunday. Um, And so we uh, had a couple extra specials this morning. Uh, So enjoyed that. So enjoyed having Tyler play piano for us. What an amazing job he did. Um, And then just having the band come and Sandra and her brother Ken sing for us. And so we did a little extra music this morning, but but any Sunday we can gather with the body of Christ is a great day. Uh, But there's something just a little different about Resurrection Sunday. And there's something just amazing. Now, we know that every Sunday we worship is a resurrection Sunday. Amen? Uh, Every day we walk in this world as followers of Christ, we celebrate the resurrection. And so, but there is something unique about celebrating on Easter morning. Uh, Today, we celebrate the key and most vital difference between Christianity and every other world religion. This today represents the difference between Christianity and what Christians believe the Bible teaches and every other world religion, every other belief system, because the resurrection is only found. The trueness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is only found within the Christian faith. You see a lot of belief systems, a lot of religions have founders or, or leaders or prophets or gurus or individuals that some even movements that last is Christ rose from the dead. If you want to go in and find out where Buddha is buried, you can go and find his bones. Any, any, and I'm not picking on Buddhism. I'm just saying any belief system, you want to find their leader. You want to go and see the site where they're buried. You can go to the tomb. You can go to the graveyard. You can go to the cemetery. You can find their bones. Do you know that when you go to Israel, and you want to see the sights of Jesus's life, do you know they'll tell you, well, this is the garden tomb. We think this is where Jesus was buried. We don't really know because there's nothing in there. It's empty. And so we think this is where he was buried, but we don't really know for sure. And we praise God that we serve and we have as our Savior, a risen Lord this morning. And as Pastor Keith talked about, as as was sung in that last song, We don't just celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We celebrate that when we put our faith and trust in Christ that we are given life. We are brought from dead to life in the quickening that Jesus does in our lives. And we praise him for that. You see, the resurrection sets our faith apart. Every other belief system is based on do better, be better, just do more works, just show up to church more. I'm so happy to have you all here, but I said it in my prayer and I meant it. You being in this building on Easter morning, if you do not know Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, does nothing for your standing with God. You walking in these doors doesn't magically make everything better and all your sins washed away. Only Jesus washes away our sins. Only Jesus gives us new life. Now I'm thankful you're here and I pray that as you are here and as you've been worshiping and hearing the messages through the songs, I pray that you would open up your heart and mind to the spirit of God, that he would work. And if you don't know Christ, I pray you would come to know him this morning. I pray you would repent of your sins and trust in Christ. And so I'm happy you're here, but please don't make the mistake of thinking just being in this building apart from knowing Christ will save you because it will not. You see, every other belief systems do better. The message of the cross and of the resurrection proclaims it is finished. I don't have to do better. It's been done as good as it needed to be in perfection. And then that righteousness is accredited to me simply because at 16 years old, at Camp Chautauqua in Miamisburg, Ohio, I just confessed my sins and called on Christ. And he saved me because he's that gracious, that loving. And I promise you, if you don't know Christ, he can save you. He will save you if you repent of your sins and turn to Him. As we consider the resurrection this morning, that's the focal point of all that we're doing. It was so great to celebrate Good Friday with the church and having so many come out for a very unique service that we do. Uh, It's very different than any other service we've ever done and will ever do. And uh, it's it's an amazing time of just really centering everything we see, everything we think about on the cross because He went to the cross for our sins. But He didn't stay on the cross. He was buried in a tomb, but as we just said, he didn't stay in the tomb. He rose again. And so I want to talk about the resurrection this morning. And to do so, I want us to turn to a passage that's quite popular dealing with the idea of the resurrection. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So 1 Corinthians is in the New Testament. And it's a letter that Paul writes to the church at Corinth, which is a city. And so if you're turning to 1 Corinthians, give you a little background. there. the apostle Paul wrote this letter. Uh, if you do not have a copy of God's Word with you, maybe you don't have it on your device or in print, uh, in the seats there or around you, there are Bibles. You can grab one of those, and you can use one of those if you would like. If you're using one of the Bibles provided, you can just turn to page 811. So if you're not sure where 1 Corinthians is, no worries. Grab one of those Bibles, turn to page 811, and you'll find 1 Corinthians 15. And we're going to be in verse 12. I should say it was so great. Um, This last week, we were back to normal uh, here in the office and at church But the week before that, Sandra and I were able to take uh, a vacation week. And so uh, Pastor Greg preached for us last week, and I, I watched the message back. What an amazing, amazing, powerful message on the cross and the love of Christ, the unmatched love of Christ. If you missed it, you need to go back and watch it, be a part of that service. But we are finishing up our Passion Week series, and I'm so happy to be with you this morning. And uh, again, last week, Pastor Greg spoke about the cross, and as we're continuing and finishing our series today, we're talking about the resurrection. So First Corinthians chapter 15, if you haven't found it yet, that's fine. Just open your Bible up and hold it open, and no one around you will know the difference. First <laughs> Corinthians chapter 15, and look at verse 12. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? I know Pastor Greg just prayed. Let's pray and ask God to affirm his word in our hearts and minds. Father, we ask that we would come before you hungry for your word. Lord, anyone here expecting to hear man's opinion, man's ideas, or hear from me, if that's why they came today, Lord, I pray they would know that they're going to be disappointed because I have nothing to offer but the word of God. But I pray, Lord, that we would understand when we come wanting to hear from you with hearts open, minds open. Lord, it's not just an emotional thing. It's not just an emotional response. It's an intellectual response that leads to emotion. And so I want our minds to be open, our minds to be engaged this morning as we hear from your word. And Holy Spirit, we know that you are the one that does the work to apply these truths, to affirm these truths in our hearts and minds. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, they'd come to know you before they leave this place. Father, you be glorified today. This is all about you. Every day is unto the Lord. But today, Lord, we set aside today as a day to celebrate your resurrection. And I pray that it would be just a time of honesty before you, a time of openness for the believer that's walked into apathy, that is distant from you in their walk, that is struggling in sin, but they know you as their Savior. I pray they repent and turn from that, from the unbeliever that doesn't know you. I pray they'd come to know you this morning. Father, we thank you for all of this and all that you're doing. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The Apostle Paul, as he's writing here to the church at Corinth, even in the community of the church, there are those who are questioning the resurrection of the dead. Uh, did Jesus really rise from the dead? Will we really rise in a form of resurrection? And so there's a lot of debate going on around this. And Paul's saying, we've been preaching, and we preach to you that Christ rose from the dead. But some among you are saying, is there really a resurrection? And this is common today. This is nothing new The Apostle Paul poses a very important question. As Paul's preaching the resurrection of Christ from the dead, he was mocked for it, he was ridiculed for it, and yet he continues to preach it. And in so doing, he comes to a point of asking a question of, if Jesus really didn't rise from the dead, where does that leave us? If there really is no resurrection, then where does that leave us? Well, that question creates two possible realities. If you want to follow along, there are notes available In your uh, on our app, rather, North Carolina BC, in your app store. You can go into media and then sermon notes, and you'll find today's notes there. If you'd like to follow along, please feel free to do so. But this question, the answer creates two realities, two possible realities. We want to look at verses 12 through 19 and understand that the first reality is a hopeless reality. The first reality is a hopeless reality. We read verse 12, look at verse 13. But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that He raised up Christ, who He raised up, or He raised not up, if so be that that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised? And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, and you are yet in your sins. Then they also, which are fallen asleep in Christ, are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. You see, Paul, Paul poses a question, okay, you say there is no resurrection, let's walk that out, let's talk about that. If there is no resurrection, then what kind of reality does that create? What kind of a, a future does that create for us? And he says, really, the first answer is it's a hopeless reality. Paul logically speaks to the terrifying hypothetical, if there is no resurrection, which leads us in our thinking through this morning. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're not sure. Maybe you're not sure Christ really rose from the dead. You're not sure if this is really true. Well, it leads to a second question we have to answer. Not only with we have to ask the question, did Christ really rise from the dead? But we have to ask the question, do we believe God or man? Do we believe God or man? Paul says, we preach to you that Christ rose from the dead, but some among you... Meaning men in the church, people in the church, people in the community are doubting the resurrection. They're saying, no, I don't know if I really believe that. You see, Christ said he would rise from the dead. In John chapter 2, verse 19, Jesus says, and answered them, destroy this temple. And in three days, I will rise it up. Destroy this temple. And they thought he's talking about the actual temple. This is also one of the first times he cleanses the temple. He did it twice in his ministry, the beginning in the last week of his ministry. And he says, "I'll, I'll build this up in three days. I'll rise this up in three days. And they said, you're foolish. Thinking about the physical, but he was talking about himself. He was talking about his body. Following his resurrection, he identified himself as the same Jesus that walked with the disciples. He did not say, I'm a different form of Jesus. I'm not the same Jesus. He interacted with the disciples the exact same way he did before he was crucified. He spent 40 days with the disciples before ultimately ascending into heaven. The followers of Christ, the apostles, testified to Jesus' resurrection under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament through the book of Acts and various letters. Again, one of the theories that's posed is that the apostles got together and created this little plot to go and steal the body of Jesus because they wanted to use that as a platform to preach this message of the church. And so a couple fishermen got together, overwhelmed some Roman soldiers, rolled away the stone, and stole the body. And 2,000 years later, we still have no evidence of this, but this supposedly is what happened if you believe there is no resurrection. And then all of those disciples, all those apostles that were in on the plot, that were in on the lie, that were in on the stealing of Jesus' body, ultimately died a martyr's death for their faith. Peter, we believe, according to church history, was crucified upside down. If Peter was the the, the brainchild behind this and said, let's go do this thing, because he was kind of the loudmouth in the group, let's be real. He always had something to say. You know people like this. And if you say, I don't really know anyone like that. You might be that person in your group. I'm just saying it may be the case. I don't know. I'm just saying if you're like, really, I don't know anyone like that. Uh, Okay. So if Peter creates this plot and this plan, let's go do this thing. Why then would he be crucified, punished for a lie? When you study church history and you read about what happened, James, the son of uh, Zebedee, the brother of John was the first martyr that we read about in Scripture that was one of the apostles. The first martyr is Stephen. The first apostle we read about is James. He was killed because he believed and confessed the person and finished work of Christ. Why would you do that if you know it's all a lie? And so it doesn't make much sense. But people will say, well, yeah, but we don't believe this. Well, the question remains, do you believe God or do you believe man? See, in Corinth and around the known world, People thought there was no resurrection. Corinth was a a port city. So this was a place of trade and commerce. People would come from all over the known world and travel through Corinth. It's kind of on a little peninsula. And they would come at one end and dock their ships. And they would move all the supplies across this little uh, peninsula and then load it up on ships on the other end. And so there was various language groups, people groups, religious backgrounds, a huge kind of melting pot of different beliefs and religions. And Paul's writing to the church. He says, some among you, this church is made up of people of the community. Preach, there is no resurrection. Because they have different beliefs, different religious backgrounds, different ideas, different philosophies. It's the same way we find it today. And you can get on the internet, you can find anything you want. Even the things you don't want to find. It's everywhere. Information is everywhere. And all these different opinions. Who's right? Who's wrong? So do you believe God or do we believe man? Man. People had a choice to make. So Paul, in this passage, lays out this hopeless reality. What would it mean if there was no resurrection? According to Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 15, what would it mean if there was no resurrection? Well, let's just walk this out quickly, which those of you that know me well know that means absolutely nothing. So what would it mean if there was no resurrection? Jesus never rose from the dead. We have no hope in resurrection. So Christ is not risen from the grave. That means the entire church for 2,000 plus years is built on a lie. There's no foundation but deception. If Christ did not rise from the dead, then empty and vain or meaningless preaching is what takes place every single week. This, what I'm doing right now, is empty. There's nothing to it. It's no substance because there's no weight in the preaching of Christ without the resurrection of Christ. So our words today, my words, all the music we just sang so beautifully means nothing. It's empty, it's vain, it's worthless. Those that confess to know Christ, those that preach the gospel are liars about God because we say he rose from the dead, but he really didn't. So we're liars of God. We're blaspheming the name of God. It's a pretty serious sin. Your faith, my faith, if there is no resurrection, is empty and meaningless. You might as well put your faith in the tooth fairy. Put your faith in some other little fairy tale because that's about all it's worth. If there is no resurrection, Paul says. If there is no resurrection, then our sins have not been forgiven. So you are living as though your sins are forgiven, but they're not forgiven. And you'll stand before God and give an account for that one day in your sin because there's no resurrection. That would mean that you will be under judgment and you are under judgment currently. You are under the wrath of God, but yet you've convinced and deceived yourself that you're good and you're fine, so you're living as though you're fine. Paul goes on to say that anyone who passes away in Christ, family, friends, and loved ones, anyone that passed away are not actually in heaven if there is no resurrection. So Paul says, he says, those who are asleep in Christ, those that died in Christ, they're not in heaven. There's no hope for them. They're just lost. Ultimately, there is no eternal life in Christ. Just a crutch to get through this life. And we should, Paul's words, be pitied among men for our ignorant belief. You see, this is what life would look like if Christ did not rise from the dead. Hopeless. Life has no greater purpose beyond the here and now. All you got is right now. All you got is your bank account. All you got is your job. All you got is your identity wrapped up in whatever you do for a living. And as once you die, once you breathe your last breath, Paul says, if there's no resurrection, that's it. You're done. There's no hope. So just make as much of today as you can. But the problem is those that follow Christ and believe there was a resurrection, if there is no resurrection, we live, we we sacrifice, we don't enjoy and indulge and overindulge in some of the things of life. And they look at us and go, you guys need to be pitied. Your foolish belief. There's no purpose. The things you do carry no eternal weight. You might impact one person or another person, but really there's no lasting legacy here. There's no eternal weight to what you're doing. Leo Tolstoy, author of War and Peace, the book, not the song. That's war. Never mind. You're welcome for having that in your head the rest of today now. Leo Tolstoy said this as he was getting older and his great works were behind him. He says this, my question was the simplest of questions lying in the soul of every man from the foolish child to the wisest elder. It was a question without an answer to which one cannot live as I had found by experience. It was, and this was his question, what will come of what I am doing today or shall do tomorrow? What shall come of my whole life? Differently expressed, the question is this, why should I live Why should I wish for anything or do anything? It can also be expressed this way. Is there any meaning in my life that the inevitable death awaiting me does not destroy? Great, world-renowned author. Towards the end of his life, looks at all that he's accomplished. He says, what's the point? Like, like, what am I doing today? What am I possibly going to do tomorrow? That when I die, it doesn't destroy all of it. Do you see, he understood the things that we do in this life. If there's no grander purpose, then we feel empty and void. Paul says it a little differently than Mr. Tolstoy in First Corinthians 15, 32. He says, if the dead rise not, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. You know, Paul's saying, if there is no resurrection of the dead, just enjoy life as best you can, because you know what, tomorrow you might die and just live it up. Can we be honest for a second? This is the mindset of our culture today. Just live it up doesn't really matter because after this, there's nothing. And when I talk to people and they give me that answer, I'll ask them, what do you believe is after this life? Do you believe in eternal life? No, I just think it's just done. We're just in the ground, dirt, done, nothing. How hopeless. How terrifying. So you think all you are is this life? But again, we must remind ourselves, this is only one of two possible realities. So let's look at the second reality. So the first reality without the resurrection is a hopeless reality. The second reality with the resurrection is a glorious reality. Look at verse 20 of 1 Corinthians 15. But now, I love this. It's like this is one possible, but now, is Christ risen from the dead And become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterward they that are Christ's at his coming. You see, Paul says something similar in in Romans chapter 5. I wasn't going to go there, but let's go there quickly. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Again, just as the Lord kind of laid this on my heart just now, I feel as though we should turn there and just give a little more meat to this idea. So, Romans chapter 5, if you're using one of the Bibles provided, uh, it's the book previous to 1 Corinthians. So, go to your left, one book, you'll find Romans. The Apostle Paul is also the author of this letter. This is to the church at Rome. Don't think Roman Catholicism church. This is a church of believers in the city of Rome, the area of Rome in Paul's day. Um, And so don't think Roman Catholic that did not exist in that way yet. This is just an early church in Rome. Same as a church in Corinth. Two churches in two different cities, both followers of Christ. So Romans chapter 5 and look at verse 12. Wherefore, by one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. That's Adam. By one man, Adam, Genesis 3, sin entered in, and sin brought death. For unto the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression who is the figure of him that was to come. So there's one that's coming who's like Adam, a representative of mankind, that will stand in the gap and represent, be an advocate for mankind. Verse 15. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by, that, by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by the one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many off offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more then they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. For as by the one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one man, many be made righteous. And Paul's saying in Romans 5, 1 Corinthians 15, listen, there is a resurrection. There is one who came. It's Jesus Christ, the righteous. He died on on the cross for our sins. He was buried and he rose again. And because of that, it creates, presents, and allows us to live in a glorious reality. You see, if you're following along in your notes here, the first point under glorious reality is that we have a guarantee today. We have a guarantee today. The word of God is true. So our preaching, our rejoicing has meaning and weight and value. You know, the Bible says it's the foolishness of preaching that God accomplishes the task of drawing people to Christ. And I love that because I know I am foolish in my flesh. I love the verse where Paul says that he takes the foolish things to confound the wise. I'm like, amen, hallelujah. I fit that category, not on the wise side, but the foolish side. I'm good with that. It's a foolishness of preaching, but it's only foolish to those who don't believe. But to those of us who do believe, it's glorious. You see, the word of God, again, is true. So our preaching, our rejoicing, our faith is meaningful, purposeful. There is purpose in what we do today. We have been made alive in Christ and have a relationship with God. Romans chapter 5, verse 10 I believe it's in the notes, but you can jot it down. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by his death of his sons, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. See, his death reconciled us to God, forgiveness of sins, but because he rose again and is living today, we are being reconciled. We are being made holy currently, presently, because of the gift of God through Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit. But in salvation, he is alive, and that sustains our reconciliation with God the Father. The cross brought forgiveness and the resurrection brought life. Christ lives and is praying for you and I right now. We can face tomorrow and today because he lives. Now, if you remember that hymn, I'm not going to sing it, don't get scared, but what a beautiful truth. I can face tomorrow because he lives. You see, we have a guarantee of today, which again, in that hymn, we're reminded we have a guarantee for tomorrow. Not just in today, but for tomorrow as well. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we're going to go down a few verses. We're going to skip some verses. Go to verse 54. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-four. So we have a guarantee of today, but we have a guarantee of tomorrow as well. The Apostle Paul continues in this powerful passage to speak to the truth of the resurrection. He says this in verse 54. So when the corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have uh, put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. And what did Pastor Keith talk about over here? The sting of death is removed. He goes on to say this, O oh, death, where is thy sting? O oh, grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the st- strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not through you. I mean, we need to get this. It's not through you. Stop doing good works, thinking it's going to amount to anything other than the Bible says filthy rags. Just cry out to him in grace and receive that mercy. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You see, there's no fear in death because Christ has overcome this thing of death. He's overcome the power of the grave. Instead of stumbling in the dark, no hope, full of fear, if there is no resurrection, what does Paul say? He says, we who know Christ are steadfast. That word means firm, unmovable, always abounding. That means to excel for Christ. In the work of the Lord, preaching the gospel, making disciples, and serving others. As we do that work of the Lord, as we serve him day in and day out, and nobody notices. Listen, believer, maybe you're here today and you've been walking with the Lord for a long time. Praise God. And you've served in the church, you've you've taught in a classroom or you've preached or you've shared the gospel or you do music or whatever it is that God has given you the ability to do. And you do all of that and you get to some days where you go, Lord, I just really can't today. You've left a Sunday school class and little Susie or little Johnny, they pushed you that day. And you're like, Lord, I love you, but I'm struggling to love Susie right now. And I don't like Susie's mom and dad right now either, to be real honest with you. Kind of wish I could just, for Jesus, you know, just one time. Come on, Lord. And we start thinking, why am I doing all of this? What's the point of all this? What did Leo Tolstoy say? What am I doing? And Paul says, no, no, no. As a follower of Christ, everything you do for the Lord, every act of service, every word that you speak, that is the word of God glorifying to him, makes a difference, has an impact, and carries eternal fruits. It says, for as much as you know. I love that Paul says no. He doesn't say guess. He doesn't say hope. He doesn't say think you might, hope you will, wish on a star. He says, no, you know that your labor is not in vain. It's not empty. It's not useless in the Lord. You see, we live with an eternal purpose. So how is this possible? I want to read the words to the song that Sandra and Ken sang, Glorious Day. The chorus here, I love this. Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he carried my sins far away. Rising, he justified freely forever. One day, he's coming. Oh, glorious day. Oh, glorious day. You see, we have a hope and we've been justified by faith. Romans 5 and verse 1, in Christ forever. You are saved by grace, not by your own work. And if God can raise Christ from the dead, then we have the confidence in our future resurrection that we will, too, rise again. Paul says, if Christ is not risen, we are of all men most miserable. But the opposite is actually true. That if he is risen, then we are of all men most cheerful, most joyful. Do you ever meet a Christian that didn't have much joy? What a What a contradiction. Your sins are forgiven. You have new life in Christ. You are granted eternal life. The spirit of God indwells you. The word of God before you. And you're walking around moping because you had a bad day. And I understand we all go through things that are serious things. I'm not talking about that. But like you had a bad hair day and somebody was mean to you. And you're like, I have no joy. That was a real personal experience. I'm just telling you. I just, Not that I have bad hair days. I mean, come on. I put so much gel in this thing. It's not going anywhere for two weeks, but, (laughs) but we can be joyful in Christ. Why are we walking around? Yes. Are there things in our world we don't like? Absolutely. Are there things, decisions being made? We don't like, of course, Are, are politicians still politicians? Yes. But if you allow that to take your joy, that's not on them. That's on you. Why are we walking around moping? You have the son of God guaranteeing you eternal life with him forever. That where he is, you will be with him forever. And you're worried about tomorrow? If your God is the God of the word of God, he's big enough to handle today, tomorrow, and all of eternity. Again, I know it's hard to practically believe. And I shared this about a week ago in my reading through Job. Our greatest comfort, which brings joy, is not understanding the why difficult things that we go through comes into our life. But when we remind ourselves of the power and the providence of God, that's when we'll find comfort. And that's what will lead to joy. That he is good, faithful, and true. That he rose from the dead. That he keeps his promises to his children. And that through Christ, where he is, we will be also. The resurrection of Christ proves he was not just a moral teacher, a good man, or a prophet. It proves that he was in fact god in human flesh, the God-man, Christ Jesus. The question we must answer now is, what do I do with him? He will not force himself on you. He is pursuing you with his love and his grace, but he will not make you receive him. He is waiting for you patiently. If there's breath in your lungs, you have an opportunity to repent. Would you turn from your sin by the working of the Spirit and trust in him? Will you let down the walls of pride, fear, disbelief, I've done too much. I'm too far gone. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I did this morning, yesterday, two weeks ago. God knows. And he says, in that while you were yet sinners, I died for you. And if you would just turn and confess and repent and call on Christ, he can save you. It doesn't matter what you've done. There is no sin. Where sin abounded, grace much more abounds. Grace is overpowering your sin right now, if you would receive Christ. Again, turn from your sin. Trust him, believe, and allow him to save you. And to the believer here today, you know Christ. You might say, oh, I've done that, preacher. I know the gospel. Man, I was saved as a child. I know the word of God. Awesome. Do you live as somebody who knows the truth of the gospel? Do you preach the gospel to yourself every single day to remind yourself, today's not about me, it's about him. So whether I go to work, whether I'm at school, whether I'm talking to someone, whatever I'm doing, I do all for the glory of the Lord. How do you live in your marriage? Do you live as a husband or a wife that knows that the gospel is true and that he rose from the dead and you have new life in Christ? Do you live as an ambassador of Christ to your spouse, to your children? The way that you talk to your wife, spouse, the way that you talk to your children, the way you interact with them, and I, I blow this constantly. But there's grace. But everything you're doing makes an impact. So are you thinking that way? Every single day as a day of praise to him. Would you pray with me as we... Have a time of invitation. Father, we thank you for this morning. And Father, in just a moment, we're going to sing a song of invitation. And Lord, we pray that as only you can, that you would draw people to a decision that needs to be made. Maybe there's somebody here, Lord, that doesn't know Christ as the Lord and Savior. I pray that they would come to know you before it's everlasting too late. You see, the Bible says, not the Baptist Church says, North Goodland says, Pastor John says, the Bible says... The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life to Jesus Christ our Lord. That death is eternal separation from you in a place called hell. Hell is not a fictional place. It's not desolation. It's not annihilation. It's not just we cease to exist. Hell is not what we see in the difficult things in this life. Hell is a literal place created for Satan and his demons and those that don't know Christ who are in their sin when they die and stand before you receive the just punishment for our sin, which is separation and being cast into a place of hell. We earned it. We deserve it. We've willfully chose other things over you. And yet you and your grace have offered to us the gift of salvation. Lord Jesus, you died publicly so that anyone would know that you died for their sins. And if we would just call upon you, we can have our sins forgiven. We can be granted eternal life, and we will know, not hope, not I think so, not I guess, but know that we will be with you for eternity. And so, Father, would you do the work that only you can do? Holy Spirit, lead us unto repentance. Give us wisdom and guidance in these things. Help us to respond in faith, believing and trusting you as we worship you. And for the believer, Lord, help us to live every day to know that there is purpose in what we do because it's for you and for your glory. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning as we respond, whether they're in your seats, maybe you'd like to come forward and pray. If you don't know Christ, I'll be down front here. I'd love to talk to you more about that. Maybe you want to come and just receive Christ. If they're in your seats or at the altar. You want to pray, worship him, however God is leading. Would you respond?